Well, hello, my name is Colin Piper, and I'm reading a serialization of my book, Patriarch, which tells the story of Abraham. Now, by way of introduction to this particular podcast, I should reiterate what I said about the previous one, that these two make up probably my least favorite part of the whole story. In it, we uh, look at the, the cultic worship of the Canaanite goddess Asherah, and it's pretty bleak. I've left it because, bluntly, it provides the context for much of the rest of the story and is important for that. On the other hand, if you want to skip over it, move on to the next one. Uh, I quite understand. Patriarch, Chapter 1, Part 7 In the morning, for the first time, Abram would go very public about his God. But he would never be able to articulate what he saw and experienced that night. For years, Abram had sought the face of God, but to no avail. God had spoken and acted, but never appeared. Tonight, that was to change. Tonight... Abram would become one of the very few men to enjoy the greatest experience known to man, that of seeing God himself. Like others who've seen, Abram found it impossible to describe the experience adequately, but also like the others, he found it equally impossible to cover it up. All who greeted Abram that morning knew that he was a different man to the one to whom they'd wished a peaceful night the previous evening. During the night, something or someone had touched him. And there was a sense of the spiritual of which the great tree was no more than a backdrop and a physical context. Whatever had been revealed to Abram had changed him and demanded a response from him. Of course, it was Sarai who was most aware of the impact God had had on her husband while she slept. She'd watched God change him over the past few years. There had remained the uncertainties, and she could tell these still lay dormant within him. But for this morning at least... There was a new assurance and intensity about the man she loved. It was both exciting and bewildering. She thought she knew this man, and to wake up one morning to see him so profoundly changed was somewhat unsettling, if not intriguing. So she manipulated some time alone with him in order to try to understand more. At first, Abram seemed irritated in the distraction from his frenetic activity, which in itself was a, was a mystery to Sarai. But then he seemed to recognise her again and as the companion who knew him best and with whom he could best articulate the indescribable. What Sarai heard both thrilled and tormented her. That night, God had not just spoken to her husband, but had appeared to him 
He had invaded time and space and stood among them. He made himself known in a recognisable, if not describable, form. Either Abram was mad, something Sarai couldn't even countenance, or the most remarkable occurrence had taken place where and while she slept. All of which excited her, even if she was disappointed to have slept through it all. She wondered if God would ever appear to her, but quickly dismissed the idea as ridiculous when she remembered that she was the weak link in God's plans for her husband's. This time, Abram seemed insensitive, even oblivious to the implications of what he was telling her. On one level, the words God spoke at such a significant moment might appear somewhat disappointing. One short sentence hardly seemed to justify such a theophany. And yet for Sarai, no more significant words could have been uttered. To your offspring I will give this land. Your offspring, God had said. But did he know the impossibility of this happening? Where did she fit into this plan? Could he do it in her and through her? Would he need to find another woman to work through? And if so, who? And what then would be her position? Or would the whole dream fail because of her? If only she knew this God for herself, maybe she would have more of an idea, but she didn't know him and come to that was finding it increasingly hard to keep up with understanding Abram too. More than ever before, she felt alone and in her loneliness sought to conceive her own answer, a way which would enable her to remain part of the dream without rendering it fruitless. Abram wasn't in fact insensitive to Sarai's heartache. He'd loved and shared the pain for too long for anything to allow for that, even seeing God. But things were different now, at least for the moment. Everything said and done was now said and done in the light of who he had seen. The God he had seen could have said anything and he would have believed it. Nothing was too hard for this God. He couldn't articulate it, but didn't need to. His whole being spoke of it. He knew it because he felt it and he saw it in the reaction of others to him. Of course he would have offspring. God had said it. More specifically, Abram knew that the God who'd appeared to him was far more powerful than the forces of evil who dared not show themselves the night before. Oh, they could put on a show, but his God could show himself. His God was real, personal, and unafraid to stand in full view on ground claimed by an enemy. Abram knew a confidence he'd never known before. He could hardly contain himself. He wanted everyone to know what God had done and said. He wanted all to know this God. He wanted to mark this moment and claim this very spot for all time, and he wanted to do it quickly. 
You see, for all his newfound focus and clarity, Abram was still aware of his changeability and knew he needed to act while the resolve lasted. He wanted to erect something which could be for him a timeless reminder of this moment and for all those seeking answers under the great tree, a testimony of just where and where not to look. It was a hard task, responding in an adequate way to the appearance of God himself. But when eventually the caravan set out again, Abram was pleased with what he had established. In fact, his going was inspired by the altar he'd set up. It stood, visible and immovable, in stark contrast to the empty, disturbed ground beneath it upon which Asherah had been worshipped. For those who had eyes to see, it was a testimony of God's supremacy over all others. But as he set out, Abram studied the watching Canaanites and realised afresh they, they didn't have eyes to see. Rather, they seemed to have been blinded by rage at Abram's presumption and consequently the first traces of his accursed doubt began to re-establish itself within him. And yet despite this, Abram couldn't help but notice that for all their anger... The Canaanites seemed impotent to act against either him or his altar. And temporarily at least, this focused him again on his newly set task. He was determined to mark the territory as his, or more significantly, his gods. Everywhere he went, he wanted all to know his god was the only god strong enough to show himself the God before whom all other pretenders, however loud and extreme, would have to fall. The impression the altar had made on those who came across it had persuaded him to reproduce the edifice again. He sought from the guides a a similar place to the great tree and they took him to the town of Luz. Here, in his newfound confidence, Abram wasted no time in both erecting a spectacular altar and worshipping ostentatiously before it. There was a carefreeness about his actions which, if not calculated to draw attention and be provocative, was bound to do so. And slowly, the Canaanite crowds gathered. For his part, Abram was genuinely oblivious of what was going on around him. He had met with God, and now little else mattered. He was lost in worship of his God, and for that moment couldn't imagine ever wanting to be anywhere else again, or fearing anyone else again. His God had brought purpose and certainty into the whole of his life. He was a new man. His confidence was further increased, if that were possible, as he became aware of his household worshipping with him. There beside him was Lot and his nephew's new herdsman, Eber, even his own herdsman, Eliezer, someone he'd come to appreciate as as a somewhat circumspect character, stood on the periphery, at least part of things. 
Already it seemed God's promises were being fulfilled. No longer was he worshipping his own God, but the God of his household. The transition had come imperceptibly and effortlessly as he had seen his God and had now provided some focal point for others to worship him too. With that understanding, Abram's worship reached new heights of fervency, which in turn inspired his household at least to mimic their patriarch's antics. If in this moment of ecstasy before God, Abram had been told of all that was to follow over the next hours, days, weeks and months, and how doubt, uncertainty and fear would return to haunt him, he would have dismissed it either jokingly or angrily. But the truth was, for a period at least, Abram's faith was to peak at this moment of worship. And sadly, his courage was shortly to be left at the altar. Sadly, Abram seemed oblivious to two things. First, his household were in reality worshipping his God and not their own. And secondly, the Canaanites' curiosity had rapidly changed to hostility. He couldn't see Lot's successes as anything other than an expression of true worship, and to be fair, in the centre of the crowds, couldn't see the Canaanites at all. It was only when utter exhaustion finally demanded an end to his worship that he became aware not only of the Canaanite crowd now closing in upon him, but also their rabid anger. At first, Abram was as reluctant to let this threat dampen his enthusiasm as he was his tiredness. But when he turned scornfully to Lot and the other men around him, he was shocked by the looks of uncertainty and fear he encountered. For a moment, he was confused and checked again that he was reading his friends aright. After all, how could they fear anything, having worshipped the true and living God? But the fear was real and frighteningly quickly sapped his energy, faith and joy as well. Suddenly the sheer numbers and rage of the Canaanites meant something again, but what scared Abram most of all was just how quickly his wretched uncertainty returned. Over these past weeks, he'd met with God and subsequently found a new strength in worshipping him. Now it was as though none of this had ever happened. He hated himself and, and supposed God hated him too. He supposed it, but strangely didn't sense it, which confused him. All he'd seen and heard of his God told him that he had the highest possible standards, which for his part, Abram failed time and again. And yet Abram didn't feel condemned. He couldn't understand it, but knew it to be true, even at this time of impending failure. While Abram sought to process these thoughts in the back of his mind, the major part of his attention was taken up with all that confronted him. It quickly became apparent that just as he'd taken up the challenge of Canaanite worship in Shechem, so now the Canaanites were to respond to his worship here in Laos. 
And again, despite all his desire to turn away, Abram found himself once more mesmerised by his contrasting revulsion and excitement at all he saw. There was little doubt in his mind that the excesses which surpassed even those he'd experienced in Shechem was much for his benefits as that of the Baal the Canaanites worshipped. The dancing was more frenzied and violent. Knives were drawn and bodies mutilated, all the more vile for the fact that the wounds were self-inflicted. Others whipped themselves with a crazed desperation for self-destruction. Possessed by demonic madness, all seemed oblivious to the pain and remorselessly continued on and on, seemingly never tiring or satisfied by their excesses. Abram could almost feel the evil in the air, and as he stood watching, knew that he was breathing it in, and it was polluting his whole being with a darkness and a dread. With all his heart he wanted to run, and yet some force paralysed him and compelled him to see the evil and inhale its deadly poison. Suddenly, one individual in the crowd caught Abram's attention. He appeared lucid and controlled, but never before had Abram seen such death in the eyes of a living human being. The sight held him to the extent that he became oblivious of all others in the crowd. The man was dressed in extravagant robes which emphasise his masculinity but before Abram could realise what was happening the man had pulled off every item of clothing maybe it was the speed of what happened next or maybe it was the sheer shock of it but in later years Abram would come to appreciate that it was more than both these things as he understood the nature of the spell that is cast by moments of such evil but for whatever reason, he was ill-prepared for the vilest of acts which followed. Later, Abram was to reflect that what had violated him the most was not so much what the man did, but rather his lack of any consequent audible or visible response. Abram shuddered involuntarily and, and seemed to shake himself out of whatever had possessed him to stay and witness this vilest of sights. But it seemed that the show was over in any case. The crowd was largely dispersing, leaving just a few behind who were dressing the new eunuch in women's clothing, which quickly stained with a bloody redness. That night, Abram retreated to his tent, still watched through the dark by less than friendly eyes. Inside it was pitch black, which exasperated his loneliness. He knew he had a choice. He could believe his God and stand his ground and claim it as his promised inheritance or yield to his fears and flee away from the Canaanite crowds. All night, the battle raged between faith and fear.
and by morning, fear had won. You're listening to the Patriarch Podcast. For more information, you can go to biblenovels.com where you can become a Patreon supporter to support Overseas Mission.